You're listening to the weekly podcast with Pastor Steve McCoy from 360 Church in Sarasota, Florida. We hope this message inspires you to press beyond ordinary. God created us to get in the game. He brings us in to send us out. He brings us alive for a purpose that, we, that we're going to lay out here, but for our purposes today, I would just want to, to kind of start simple and say that God never calls or creates anyone to be a consumer. There's nowhere in the Bible that we find that God calls us out, that changes our life, that brings life to us, that breathes life into us so we can just set back and just consume the whole thing. God says, no, I, I'm calling you to get back in the game. I saw uh, in, my, um, in my office, I got this big plant that's um, half dead and half alive. I'm not a great gardener. But I got this big water bucket, and I, you know, when you put the water in it, the water is intended to come out of it. And then I saw this water jug uh, online, and I thought, hey, I need to get this water jug. I, I put a picture up there. Now, see, that's... <laughs> That's a picture of uh, some people who come after God. Like, hey, I'm just, I'm pouring it out, but I'm pouring it out, but it's just coming back to myself, right? This is not the intention of God. As soon as God birthed Adam, he said, get into the game. And sometimes I think about this moment. I know it's kind of, I'm going to say something a little bit weird, but hey, that's not the first. When, when God created Adam, he was a corpse. It wasn't until he breathed life into him that he became a living being. It wasn't that God created a live human being. He created a dead human being. I know that sounds crazy, but it, he, he created him. He formed him, his corpse, his body, out of the dust of the earth. And then he breathed, and then he became a living being. How long was it after God created Adam that he was laying there as a carcass before he breathed life into him. Well, when you're reading the Bible, you think, well, just seconds. Well, how do you know that? We don't know that. The answer is we don't know. There, you know. We don't get everything in the Bible. But just imagine with me that God had created Adam and he's laying there. And, and God is, because he has a foreknowledge, you kind of wonder if he just kind of took a deep breath. Like, here we go. Here comes humanity. Because we're told in the scripture mysteriously that Christ was crucified before the foundations of the world, before Genesis 1 even existed. So Christ, God knew that Christ would be needed for all of us, that God was getting ready not just to breathe into Adam, but to bring humanity to life, knowing all of the brokenness, all of the all of the evil, to be honest with you, all of the selfishness, all of the self-watering water buckets that we were going to be. And yet he did it anyway. That's the crazy thing. Knowing what he was, that he, and so he said, I'm going to create man a little lower in the, than the angels so that I can get glory from, from a being that's lower than the angels who failed me in heaven. And so I'm going to create human beings, even knowing their brokenness and even knowing their need for a Savior thousands of years before, the, before he came. 
and I'm going to bring life into him so that he can serve my purposes on earth. If you've ever looked in the mirror and said, I'm not worthy to serve God, welcome to the club. It's called humanity. If you've ever said, man, I'm, I'm not up for the job, welcome to humanity. But God sees our brokenness and uses us anyway. Let me put it in a different way. God sees our carcass and still breathes life into it. God sees that we're dead and still brings us alive so that we can serve his purposes, not so we can just water ourselves. In other words, don't just water yourself, water the garden. Don't just take care of your own self, take care of the garden. And in this case, the garden is the world around us. We've just sung, shout Jesus in the streets. Shout Jesus, well, maybe not shout, share Jesus in the cubicle. Share Jesus in the, in the neighborhood. Why? Because that's the garden God gave to you to take care of. He didn't put us in the garden of life just to smell the roses, but he gave us life so that we would serve him. Watch. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, for we are God's workmanship. God crafted us like Adam. He breathed life into us and were created, just like Adam was physically created, God has created us in Christ Jesus to do good works which he's prepared for us in advance to do. He's got a job role. What does that mean? Okay, for some of you that maybe are tuning in online, maybe somewhere in the room that you're trying to figure out, God, I wish that someone would have told me when I was searching for God what I'm about to tell you. This is not about religion. It's not about a checkbox that you agree with the, the tenets of Christianity more than you do uh, of Hinduism or is Islam or any other religion. It's not about, oh, I like these facts better or these facts are more familiar. Becoming a Christian is, becoming, is moving from being dead to alive. What do I mean? When we're dead, we're separated from God. God has the mysterious and miraculous capacity to breathe into us just like he breathed into Adam. If you don't believe that, you don't believe the story of Adam. You don't, if you don't believe that there's a God that breathed into a dead carcass and brought him to life, then you can't, breathe, the, the, you can't believe that we have a God that can, that can breathe into us new life. So when we come to God, we say, God, I'm broken. I am dead in a sense. I am separated from you. And I'm going to take this old life and turn it in. And in exchange, I'm asking you to breathe life, and then we become created in Christ. This is why Jesus said you must be born twice. You're not born just physically, but you need to be born, created spiritually. And God breathes in us when we're willing to come to him, when we're willing to turn 180 degrees towards him, when we're able to say, God, my life is your life now, and I'm asking you to ignite in me a new life, a new birth, a new creation so that I can now serve you. It is not about religion. It's about relationship. And there's only one, watch, that can breathe new life into us, and it's Christ Jesus. And the only reason that it's Christ Jesus is historically he's the only perfect Savior that walked the earth and the only one that came back from the dead so that he can distribute the life-giving spirit that only he can give. That is, that is what it means to be a Christian. 
I refuse, by the way, as a pastor, to say, hey, say this little sentence after me and you're a Christian. You must understand what it means to have this intersection. So what we're going to do is we're going to hover. Sometimes, you know, we're jumping all around the Bible and it's a little hard to track. We're going to hover today in an incredible chapter in, the, in a book called Isaiah. If you're not familiar with the Bible, he was one of the prophets of God in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6, for those that know the Bible, is a very pivotal chapter. Isaiah sees God in, in his fullness and something happens and I think what it does for us is it pictures this, this concept, this reality, I should say, that God draws us in to send us out. We're going to begin in uh, Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1. And we're going to go through every verse of this chapter, by the way, as we, as we move through it. It's, the chapter starts with some historical things we won't get into, but sometimes they'll just do a, a, like a pinpoint, like a map pin to say here's where we're, where we're at in the year that King Uzziah died. So it gives us just kind of a historic map where we're at. Isaiah speaking first person says, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple, the heavenly temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings, with two wings that covered their faces, with two, they covered their feet, and with two, they were flying. Now, at that point, if you are not moved, if you're not like just in complete awe, something's broken with your R-O-meter or whatever you got. <laughs> and they were calling to one another the same message that we see that surfaces in the book of Revelation, and every time we see God in this picture, he is surrounded by worship, and the words of those worship are holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The entire earth, the whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorpost and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. It's hard to wrap your head around that, just to be honest with you. But here's the truth of the matter. If you're looking for God, you must have an encounter with God. Now, it may not be this vivid and probably won't, to be honest with you. But you have to come to the place in your life where God is not just a concept. That God is not just a theological statement. But God is a reality. I remember when I was 19... I started looking for God. I didn't really find him until 22. I'm a little, a little slow. But I began to look for God. And I was looking everywhere. I looked through religion. I looked through cults, to be honest with you. A couple of cults, I, 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 uh, 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 Scientology, I'm like, hey, maybe God's here. What do I know? I'm just trying to find God in the best way I can. I began to read. I began to watch. I began to listen. I began, I was working in a post office at the time. I, I began to write descriptive words. I was just trying to figure it out. I went to cathedrals. I went to temples. I went to all sorts of religious outlets trying to find God because at that point he was only a concept to me. He was a, 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 a something that I 
just perceived that I needed. And it wasn't until I had this, the, the revelation that only God can give without all the theological trappings, this is this simple. God is real. Amen. God is the real thing. Amen. And unless you get close enough that you have that awakening, then you'll only be religious and at best spiritual, but you won't be alive. And that's a big deal. When you have that encounter with God, then what will naturally happen for you is this. You will see his perfection and you will see your imperfection. In my opinion, not to step on, I'll go ahead and step on some toes, I don't care. More and more, we are wanting to present the gospel as a self-watering water jug. What's in it for you? What you get, you get to go to heaven. Anybody want to go to heaven? Sure, I want to go to heaven. But coming to faith in God is not all about what you get. It is being brought alive by a God who is asking you to serve him in this world and to bring glory to him by doing so. This is what God has called us to do. If we enter into the relationship by what we're going to get out of it, we will live that kind of life. And I sometimes wonder if it's even real, just being, just being frank. Rather than, wow, God is real. I see him in all this holiness. I see that he is perfect. He's eternal. He's massive. He's vast. He's awesome. And oh my God, I need you. I see that, you, you see the brokenness. And when that happens, listen, when that happens and God is real, then your conversion to him will be real. Don't settle for something cheap. Now God gives his son, it's free grace, but there is this moment that if you don't recognize your need, then that, then that, that asking for the savior, it will be just very shallow. How do I know that? Watch what happens to Isaiah. It's hard to even imagine that he's come to this reality of God. And then what he says in uh, verse 5 is this. Woe to me. I'm wrecked. I'm ruined. This is, this is such a necessary moment in our lives. Otherwise, we'll never get treatment for cancer unless we're willing to acknowledge we have cancer. We'll never put a Band-Aid on the cut unless we acknowledge we have a cut. We'll never ask for a Savior until we understand I'm a sinner. It's almost a, a politically incorrect word anymore. I'm a sinner. And so he says, I, woe to me, I'm ruined I am a man of unclean lips and I'm living in a culture of uh, people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty and this seems to be a problem. <laughs> I have seen my imperfection and I'm wrecked and I see God and listen, this is the human predicament 
that we are broken and God is majestically perfect. And then God does what God does. And we see the gospel, the good news, written right here in the book of Isaiah. Watch what happens. God recognizes that none of us, through religion, through effort, through behavior modification, can find our way to God. And then God reaches down to us. This is why he sent his son. Even though we know, oh, I'm imperfect and God's perfect, God understands that. And he's never asking you to to work hard enough to be okay with him. He is the one that reaches down and bridges the gap. So you got this perfect God, this majestic God. You see Isaiah saying, man, I'm wrecked, I'm ruined. And then look what happens in verse 6. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. In that day, the altar was the place where God and humans could meet. It was the sacrifice. In other words, instead of humans paying for their own price, then God substituted a sacrifice of an animal in those days so that we, the humans wouldn't pay the price, but it was, it was substituted for, so we wouldn't have to pay the price. The altar represented that moment where humans and God could meet. This seraph comes down, takes a coal, and takes it from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth. And he said, see, this has touched your lips. Now remember, let me pause. Isaiah was basically saying, I'm unusable. My lips are unclean. My past is unclean. And I'm, I'm living in the midst of people that have unclean lips. You've called me to speak for you as a prophet, but he's saying, I'm unusable. There are many people that would say, I'm unusable for God because of this and that and my past and blah, 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 and my brokenness. And I just did something last Thursday or I'm on the way to church. And, blah, and therefore, God said, I can't be used by God. And God says, no, I'm reaching to you and I'm making sure that you understand that you are forgiven that there is grace, that there is power, and it's going to be my power in you and not your own power. Watch. With it, he touched my mouth and said, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is temporarily forgiven. No. Your guilt is taken away. It's taken away. On May 2nd, 1982, when I had convinced myself that it was too late for me to come to God, and someone said, no, your guilt and your sin is taken away. When John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's not just forgiven, it's gone. Now God says, let me use you. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. What an amazing God. Just think about it. God could be up in heaven with this train filling the, the, the temple and the doors shaking and the, you know, the angels just, just singing. You know, like, I'm not going down there. You guys are a bunch of idiots. 
He goes, no, I want you to be used. And you can't be used until you understand that you are a broken person who are, is forgiven and usable, that your guilt and your shame and your sin are gone. The very thing that you said, oh, I can't use, my lips are unclean. Well, let me touch those lips. My eyes are unclean. Let me touch those eyes. My hands have been involved in things they shouldn't have been. Let me touch those hands. My heart has been broken and fractured and sinful. Let me touch your heart. Christ touches every part of us. And when we say we can't be used, he goes, oh, no, I've, I've used you. If you earn yourself to the place where you think you can be used because of your goodness, it's like the, a football team that may have a good season, but trust me, you're going to lose one time or the other. Anybody see the NBA finals? Man, I was, I was really rooting for Boston. I don't think they showed up in the last game, right? I can tell from your response, like, nope, we're not watching it, Steve. So. <laughs> Watch this. This is so incredibly important. I, I just want to like go to every, every single one of you individually. This is so incredibly important. I meet too many people that don't think they can be used by God. The, the immediate thing that God did when he breathed life into Adam was he said, let's get busy. Let's get busy. The immediate thing that happened when he touched Isaiah and said, your sin is atoned for, he said, let's get busy. Let's get busy. Watch this in verse 6, uh, Isaiah 6, verse 8, the first part. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Now, I just have to pause for a minute and just go back to Genesis 1. Let us make man in our image. We just see a little surface here of the Trinity if, you're, if you track in, in those terms. But this is a beautiful moment. Who will go for Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Who will go for us? And then Isaiah says something that's really stunning. I'm going to tell you why it's stunning. It seems so simple when we read it. But he says in, in the second half of that verse, he goes, Isaiah said, and, he says, and I said, here am I, send me. Now, here's what's really crazy about that, that statement. Isaiah had no idea what he was getting into. He didn't ask for a job description. He didn't ask how hard it was going to be. He didn't watch, check his schedule. He didn't check his phone. He wasn't texting while God was talking to him. He had his full attention. And before he knew anything, he said, I'll go. I'll go. If you ever wondered what the criteria for God to be used is, first of all, it's a brokenness and atonement for God. And second, it's I'll go without measuring all of the consequences. As you know, I trained in in churches around the world. And I will tell you that the American church culture is more hand-wringing than cultures around the world who live at the risk of their lives. What do I mean by that? 
Sometimes I'm training in Africa, Asia, Middle East, and they're like, okay, wow, okay, let's go with this. Let's, let's disciple people. Americans are like, yeah, but what if I get paired with somebody that I don't like them? <laughs> what if someone teaches something that's not in the Bible? What I'm like, hey, we can do it. Go into your cubicle, go into your neighborhood. But what if they don't like me? Well, then they won't like you. Worst case scenario. Well, let's just go to the absolute worst case scenario. They really don't like you. They burn your house down, you die, and you go to heaven. Well, that's still not too bad. It's the best day of your life. So then, after he says, hey, sign me up, watch what happens. Then God said, go and tell this people, be ever hearing and never understanding. Be ever seeing and never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see in their ears with their uh, might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. This is quoted in one form or the other in six times in the New Testament. But if, if I were Isaiah, I'm like, hey, could I have that contract back just before we get going too far? Because I signed up, and what I was hoping for is like, oh, thank you so much, Isaiah, for signing up, because here's what's going to happen. You don't know a guy named Billy Graham yet, but boy, it's going to be amazing. And Isaiah, you're going to walk in stadiums, and people are going to like just really turn to me. And man, everybody's going to love your message. And in fact, they're going to think you're like a hero bringing great news to the earth. But what he says is, this is going to be rough. This is going to be rough. Here's why this message is really important to us in this culture. I don't know if you've noticed, but the message of the gospel is becoming less and less welcomed. But that never stops the messenger. Even though God said, hey, these are going to be a people that don't perceive, They're going to, their hearts are going to be hardened. The next sentence is not, okay, well, just don't go then. Just don't, just forget about it. Just don't go. Because we're about to see some incredible hope for a people living in a culture where the door seems to be closing. We're reminded that broad is the road to destruction. This is, the, this is the heart hat part of the message, okay? Again, I'm a firm believer that we do nobody any favors by not holding out the truth. Amen. And the truth of the matter is that according to the Bible, more people will not be living with God in eternity than will. Broad is the road to destruction, and many will go therein. Many will travel that road. And it may seem discouraging to us as messengers from time to time. Messengers of grace, of mercy. Bewildering. And yet God says, don't stop going. I have called you in to send you out. I have called you in to send you out. I have brought you alive to take a message to those who are dead. 
And so God calls us and we go out, watch, regardless of the response. Because if we are only going contingent on the response, you will only play a winning season temporarily. You'll give up. Trust me. You'll give up. We must understand that God has a plan. Watch. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10, we're told that people will perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. In, in John chapter 3, verse 16, this is obviously a very well-known verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son. I add that in, should have added that in, to be honest with you. His only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in Christ is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And so when we look at this scenario, it, it can seem at times hard and dismal. But what is not dismal is the life-giving message that we're bringing and it's God who makes the move in, through our obedience. In other words, I'm going to go, God, and I'm going to trust you. I'm going to be obedient to the assignment of being sent. Period. That's our part. God doesn't say go and you know, arm twist them. And, 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 no, that's God's part. Our part is to be obedient. Even, honestly, if you're like, oh, I get so nervous, no problem, because people will see that you're trying. People will see that you're, you, hey, I, I, you know, I'm kind of new at this. I, I just want to let you know, Christ died for you, and he's changed my life. You, you don't have to be a theologian to, to be able to pull this thing off, right? And then, and then Isaiah asked a question that all of us were, would ask. Hey, sign me up, right? And then, hey, you're going to speak to a bunch of people who don't want to listen to what you're saying. And then he goes, oh, okay, well, like, for how long? And so he says in verse 11, he says, then I said, for how long, Lord? You can almost see there's just not as much enthusiasm, maybe. That's when he's like, send me! <laughs> well, after now I know, like, how, how long are we going to do this? And then the answer was even tougher. And he said, because he was operating in Jerusalem at the time historically, he said, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields are ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And then Isaiah said, okie doke, that sounds great. Yeah. But watch, then God gives a, a, a message of hope. Because I, I told you this was going to be a little heavy. But here's the hope. Watch this. This is a beautiful thing in the midst of this whole picture. In the midst of this, God says, And though a tenth remain in the land, it will be laid the west, uh, to waste. But as the terebinth and the oak leave, and the oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. 
Now, when I was reading that, I was a bit stumped. Sorry. When you, I want to just leave that up there on the screen for a little bit. Um, when you look at that, you, there are a couple of ways to see this. You could see that, you know, in Isaiah chapter 11, it says that Christ will be the, the shoot that comes up from the, the stump. You could say, oh, we're talking about Jesus. But when you look carefully, there's a little bit of study required in the original language. He's referring to something else because he says it right here. He says the, the holy seed will be the stump and the land. He's talking about those who remain faithful. You see, what happened in Jerusalem historically is that they were getting ready to fall to the Assyrians and the Babylonians. They were going to come in and ravage the whole place. And Isaiah is saying, hey, there's going to be a remnant that's going to be left. You see that in the book of Nehemiah and Ezra, that there's a remnant left. And they're going to hold the line. And even though I'm speaking about a nation that's going to fall, there are still little shoots Little, little individuals that are going to get the message. This is the hope that God gives to us. That even in a culture like Isaiah, no different than ours, where the message of Christ is not going to be super popular because it's been taken out of the news, it's been taken out of the sitcoms, it's been taken out of Hollywood, it's been taken out of the schoolhouse, it's been taken out of the courthouse, it's been taken out of the White House. Come on, let's, get, let, let's, let's just face reality. And it's not anything surprising. That's why God has called us to go out. Sometimes we think, oh, it's the church's job. I'll remind us, you are the church. I am the church. The church is not located at 5250 McIntosh Road. The church is located where your address is and where you work. We are the church. Christ has brought us alive to go out to those who are dead, like us, to bring a life-giving message. And there is a hope that even though the country might seem like a stump, there is the hope that there are little shoots here and there that will still hear the message. And that's why God didn't tell Isaiah, just, just forget it, stay home. There are people around you that need you and need this. Watch this. In Job chapter 14, my wife and I always talk about the messages all, all week long. Basically, I just preach at her all week long. Just kidding. <laughs> and I was at work, and she said, oh, check out this, this scripture that's uh, so, so beautiful. Watch. In a culture of stumps, at least there is hope for a tree. If it is cut down, it will sprout again. And new sprouts will not fail. Its roots may grow old in the ground and its stump die in the soil. Watch this. Yet at the scent of water, (laughs) at the scent of water, not a bucket of water, just a scent of water. At the scent of water, it will bud and put forth shoots like a plant. You know the Bible, one of the things that the Bible calls you, you are the fragrance of Christ. You have the living water in you. And the hope for this culture that has many stumps with some dead roots 
You're the fragrance. You're the scent of living water. People don't need the stench of religion. They need the scent of the living water of Christ. And God has saved you to send you out. Let's pray. Father, thank you. It's a heavy message today for us. But we are reminded, God, first of all, that we stand before an awesome God. Bigger and more vast and more awesome than we can ever put our wrap our human minds around. And until we have that encounter, God, of how great you are, we'll never see our need, our brokenness. So we begin today by praying for those who are in this room or perhaps they're watching right now in their living room or listening later in the cubicle of their workplace or maybe they're out for a run listening. And we're reminded of the words that we read today that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son to die for us that whosoever believes, whoever believes and trusts in Christ will not perish, but will have eternal, everlasting life. This is the message, God, that you have given to us. But us, like Isaiah, we need to reach down because our reach up is not long enough. So together, for those of us who have have been experiencing and have experienced this new life, we go into a focused prayer right now. I call you to focus prayer right now for those who are trying to figure out God just like we were. And if you're here or you're listening or watching right now and you're trying to figure God out, let me let me just say this to you. We will never figure God out, but he has figured us out completely. And he need he knows our need of him. The question is, do you? Do you know your need for God? Just like so many humans around the world, we try to find him through religion, through ritual, through trying to obey the rules, by trying to be right enough. But God comes to us in a relationship. God comes to us through his son, Jesus, who laid himself on the cross, not just to forgive our sins, but to take them away that we might be used. I want to ask you, if you're looking for God, does that resonate with you more than it ever has in your life? And maybe at this intersection where the, where the word of God is fresh on, on your, in your mind and in your inner person, maybe this is the time right now in this moment to consider your great need for God and to consider the impossibility of you reaching him on your own and to depend on Christ alone for forgiveness and this takeaway of sin. You may ask, okay, I'm, I'm ready. I, I want God in my life. Listen, here's what God is asking from you. Turn 180 degrees toward him. Quit driving your own life. Quit going your own way. Quit leading it on your own and turn to him. And say, God, I acknowledge it. 
You are perfect and I am not. You are a holy God and I am a sinner. And for that reason, God, I need you. You must start there. I need you, God. And I recognize, God, I can never find you on my own. And so right now, I trust in Christ alone. The Savior of the world, the Lamb of God that spilt his blood on the cross to forgive and take away my sin. I trust in Christ alone. I trust in Christ alone who came back from the dead, who defied death, that I can trust completely. I trust in Christ alone. Is that your prayer? I now offer my life to you, God. I surrender it with all of its fractures and brokenness, its imperfections, and all of its sin. I turn it in. I surrender it. And I'm asking you, God, in exchange, breathe new life into me. I want to be not only born physically, but born spiritually. Bring new life in me. Would that be your prayer? I acknowledge to you, God, I'm a sinner. I turn my life 180 degrees towards you. And I, I trust in Christ alone. I exchange my old life for your new one. Breathe new life in me. Is that your prayer? In your own raw language, from your heart to God's. We're so grateful, God, today that you've called us in to send us out. Even in a culture that may not listen, God, you've given us the hope that there will be those, a remnant that will spring up and your word will not fail. I pray for this church family, for Christ followers who are listening. I pray that, that if they find themselves unusable, that you convince them that that's not true, that they're very usable. If they find themselves trapped in their busyness and clutter, that you'll help them unclutter. Pray, Father, that in the power of the name of Jesus, I pray against fear of sharing the gospel of Christ. I pray, Father, that we will be obedient regardless of the outcomes. God will be obedient to be sent out just like Isaiah. Thank you, Father, so much for the power of the gospel. It is the power unto salvation the power of God. Thank you, Father, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray that we'll leave this building with a renewed hope, with a renewed strength, with a renewed ambition as servants of the living God. Pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us. And special thanks for those of you who give generously to make this ministry possible. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can also subscribe or share it with your friends. For more information about 360 Church, visit us at the360church.com.